I never worked on the agency side, spent my life in sales on the other side, but I've always wondered how an agency works and how it approaches their business, and more importantly, how they deal with us pesky salespeople. Luckily for me, I had a chance to sit down with Alex Real Muto, who owns the agency Rubik's, and we had a great conversation about all things agency related. Looking forward to jumping into this chat. All right. Hey, listener. So today I've got uh, my friend Alex Real Muto here. Uh, no relation to JT unless he tells me on the podcast. Um, Alex and I have worked together like a really long time. We were actually just talking about this a second ago. It started back when he was at Soul Socks and um, we've worked there together and then he was at least asleep and now he's at this agency. Uh, so he runs this great agency named Rubik's and we're going to talk about life as an agency. Um, I would love to talk to him about uh, handling pesky salespeople, and we'll probably even whine a little bit about the fact that the Eagles lost in the Super Bowl. So uh, let's get to it. So Alex, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. Really excited to be here. Uh, first and foremost, my condolences. I know we didn't get the outcome we wanted, but uh, it was a hell of a game. No. And you know, we, this isn't the time for, on the podcast, but um, I don't know if you know that Jason, Kelsey and uh, Trevor have a podcast uh, together, which is just a brilliant podcast. And they went through basically the Super Bowl play by play. So for you, uh, you may just enjoy it as much as I did. I listened to it yesterday. But anyway, Very we're, cool. digr we're, we're digressing. So um, let's get started. So you, uh, as we just talked about, we met back when you started at Soul Socks. And, um, you know, one of the things I talk about is a lot of the times, at least in my experience, which doesn't necessarily mean this is the norm, uh, people tend to kind of go from the agency side to the brand side. And obviously you have gone from Soul Socks to Lisa Sleep, and now you're running this great agency, Rubik's. And uh, to me, it seems a bit of the opposite, but I would love to learn a little bit about, well, we should start a little bit about time at Soul Socks, but then learn a little bit about how you arrived here. Yeah, totally. Uh, and my background is definitely a little atypical. I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, a ton of people go from agencies to brands. Um, interestingly, when I started Soul Socks uh, in 2013, believe it or not, it was a subscription sock club. Each month, you get a pair of like wacky, colorful dress socks. Uh, that was just like a side hustle I was doing while also leading strategy for a digital marketing agency. Um, and so that was really my first foray into understanding like e-com and digital marketing. And so understanding the balance of what an agency can offer and the wide breadth of clients and projects that you get to work on was definitely appealing. But, you know, nights and weekends, I really spent uh, starting a, you know, the subscription sock club. And so when I had the opportunity to leave the agency and join Lisa Sleep to, you know, kind of found that company, um, that was my real opportunity to leave the agency side and uh, lead marketing for Lisa Sleep, which is a mattress company that competed with the likes of like Casper, Tuft & Needle, Purple. Uh, I remember like, uh, because obviously I had started at cool material right around that time. And the mattress companies was such a, I mean, it was you, it was Lisa, like you said, Casper and purple. And I'm not sure sort of how much it's evolved today, but it was a big deal back then, especially for us, just, you know, being able to work with you and some others. And did you find what did, um, so your time at Lisa sleep, that was really sort of the time you kind of stepped in on the brand side with both feet, um, in, in regards to marketing. Is that right? I think that just given the growth trajectory that we saw, I mean, like we went from zero to 150 million 
million dollars in sales in less than three years. And I was like a pretty young, young guy running, uh, all of the digital marketing where like, I think our, our marketing budget, um, in 2018 was about $45 million that, you know, I was in charge of. And so I was just in Virginia beach, Virginia, actually, which is where Lisa was based, uh, spending boatloads of money. Um, and so like, you know, the arms race that was, you know, the war to sell you a mattress was very real. Uh, what I think is sort of unique about the mattress space and why I think, you know, you and I have known each other for so long is that selling a mattress is quite different than selling, say, a pair of sunglasses or XYZ widget. Um, while Facebook was a component of our media mix, leveraging longer form content in uh, the, the vein of sponsored content and affiliate marketing and really educating people on what is a really highly considered purchase um, that is buying a mattress uh, was where we saw some really uh, successful traction. And so when I was at Lisa, I had an opportunity to really widen the breadth and depth of what my marketing knowledge from a channel standpoint looked like. Um, we, yes, we advertised on you know the PPC channels that are Google and Facebook um, and Pinterest at the time, but we were also doing massive amounts of direct mail, uh, as I mentioned, sponsored content, podcasts. Um, you know, fun fact: Lisa, Lisa was one of the first ever, if not the first ever, barstool sports advertiser. Wow! Um, and so, yeah, it was it's crazy. Uh, and you know, a funny story about that actually. Um, you know, I actually found uh, the the person who was leading sales at Barstool's email on like a Reddit thread, and I reached out to him, and uh, we actually forged like a long relationship. And then Barstool had kind of like blown up a little bit, and so even though, you know, our founders didn't love necessarily that, that, you know, we were like the mattress of Barstool, it was actually without question, the most effective podcast program that we ran. And so, so effective that Casper actually kind of caught wind of what our, I think like 2018 renewal was or whatever. And, and literally reached out to Barstool and said, we will take this exact same package and we will just pay triple what, what you have agreed to, to kind of do the deal no with Lisa. No way. And, That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. And, and honestly, yeah, but I, I think kind of, I mean, like, you know, I think that at times, you know, he mentions, you know, working with sales folks and stuff like that, but like the relationship that we were able to forge and the relationship that like you and I mean, you and I have been working together for literally a decade. Yeah. Uh, that means a lot. Right. And so, and, and, and Barstool ended up turning that down and said, you know, uh, I think his response was like, when we were just producing the rundown, you know, once a week or whatever on YouTube, where were, where were you guys then, you know, we're a Lisa shop. And that, that was something that, I really remembered and something that I try and maintain that level of integrity now that I am on the agency side, um, you know, and oftentimes I like to think of Rubik's not just as an agency, but as an extension of, of brands. I know that's a bit cliche, um, but the type of work that we're doing is really holistic growth marketing. And I think that's, what's really important in what running an agency um, needs to be today. Um, no longer can I think you do like, just do a Facebook marketing agency or a Google agency or anything like that. Um, really having a lens to understand the customer journey holistically is like paramount for success in, in kind of today's marketing. So this kind of like leads into the next question. And, and by the way, you, you made a pretty good bet on Barstool, didn't you? If, in light of the recent news, right? Holy cow. Like they've, 
they just sold for uh, just an ungodly amount of money, which is good, good for them. It's kind of amazing. Um, but this kind of leads into this next question, which is why you did start the agency. So it sounds like, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like all that experience you gained, and Lisa gave you just such a great understanding to sort of bring it to the to the agency side. So do you feel, and I never worked on an agency at an agency, so I've always been on the sales side, but it sounds like to your point, you need to be more of a holistic approach anymore. And you can't really, it's, it's harder to be a specialized approach as an agency for, for brands these days. But did you feel like, that was your opportunity in the market or was this happening with other agencies and you just simply felt you could do it uh, better? That kind of, give me a little insight into and sort of the reasoning behind starting the agency. Totally. Um, I wish that I had a more kind of complete, there wasn't like an epiphany moment where I said, you know, I am going to start an agency and uh, you know, I believe this is what our positioning should be uh, to your point. We really want, I really wanted, I left Lisa at the end of 2018, um, moved back to New York uh, and was excited for my next chapter. I didn't really know what that next chapter was going to be. Um, but, you know, while, while less active on Twitter in 2018 or whatever, like I feel like the D to C 2019, like the D to C Twitter is, is quite active these days. Uh, yeah. The New York City direct to consumer kind of mafia, if you will, kind of everyone knew each other pretty well. And so I left Lisa, I really didn't know what my next journey would be. But like, given the amount of growth that we experienced, and the wide swath of different marketing tactics, I really just found myself serving as like a one man consultant, supporting direct to consumer brands thinking through predominantly their acquisition strategy, but at times their retention strategy as well. And so I didn't even really have a website. And I, you know, found myself, whether it was at dinners or at coffees or really just going into different folks' office, you know, who I was friendly with and just, you know, the, you know, offering counsel and advice. And that's when I realized that like, wow, this is kind of like a really nice uh, way to spend my time. Um, and so very quickly it snowballed and I was taking on more work than I could probably sustain. And so there were a couple like key tactics or specializations that I think, you know, really aligned with what the work we were doing um, and the folks that I had around me. And so like paid digital, so Facebook and Google, and then what I call performance PR, which is really a combination of like affiliate marketing and sponsored content were mm -hmm. really the two channels that we flexed the most into. But I would say that like, cause, because, I, you know, I caution like jack of all trades, master of none. I think that how you define a specialization is 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 just really important, right? Like I would say that Rubik's is specialized in growth for uh, direct consumer businesses that have already identified product market fit. Uh, I often say that like, we're not really the best shop to take a business from zero to one, uh, but instead to try and take a company from one to 10. So, you know, there are, there is confidence in the customer journey. There is confidence in the product um, or product offering. And, you know, there's, there's at least some traction in what acquisition marketing looks like. And then, you know, we are, I think, really, you know, well-suited to help fuel that fire in a way that is uh, both like thoughtful um, and looking at kind of what is accretive to the business and, and really working with whether it's this, you know, head of marketing, at times the CEO or the director of marketing, 
working with them on not just a specific channel that we're managing, but really backing it out from like a blended customer acquisition cost um, or return on ad spend goal. Like that is what I think, you know, we're really good at. And what I think that like part of the reason that I think we've been able to retain um, and continue to work with, with some of our partners and clients has been uh, we, we really pride ourselves on trying to understand the business at large and understand what levers we can potentially pull understanding that like, we're not going to necessarily manage all of those levers, but instead having a perspective or at least another set of eyes to be able to say, you know, this direct mail campaign seems to be really taking hold. And like, we're seeing that our Google AdWords are performing that much better. And the quality of the people that are clicking is that much better and yada, yada, yada. Having those types of conversations with uh, the leadership teams of the brands that we work with has been what I would say is our specialization and our differentiator, even though uh, we, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call us like a Facebook agency, a TikTok agency, a Google agency. We have subject matter experts that can do that. But I think understanding that full funnel is what, we really love to do. Um, and the folks that I try and bring on, um, you know, really sussing that out and, and making sure that alignment is there has been really important. And I think to your point, we actually find ourselves bringing back, bringing on a lot of folks that have actually worked on the brand side of things and want to get back to the agency, whether it's to see a broad base of clients, whether to hone or grow a specific set of skills that's really around just like growth marketing in general. Um, you know, when I look at the alumni network of Rubik's, like I'm extremely proud of what I see people doing. And you're right. Uh, there are a number of people that have kind of graduated out of Rubik's who are now leading, you know, directors of marketing for, for, for e-commerce brands. And that's, what I hope to let, you know, our team accomplish. And so what I like to think is that we're building a platform to, you know, give people an opportunity to get exposure to a number of different channels and fluidly move that, whether it's budget or thinking through the creative strategy or the landing page strategy or the email strategy for a specific touch point. Um, those are, that's kind of what we really specialize in and what we really love to do. Yeah, there's two things. I mean, it, 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 first of all, uh, uh, your position, this idea that you don't uh, think about brands from zero to one, you think about them from one to 10. Um, in some ways, it's super interesting. Uh, you know, the company that we have here really was, I don't want to say it was built on the same idea, but sort of the same mindset. I didn't want to work with uh, massive brands anymore like I did uh, on the sales side for a long time. And I don't necessarily want to work with super tiny brands, but it is those 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 brands that are in that D to C space that kind of are, are, are getting some success, but then they're looking to sort of grow from there. Uh, maybe it's a, like, a, like almost like a tier two. So I, I totally understand that. And it's funny. That's why it seems like you and I are, are pretty aligned on, on how we think about that. As far as the, I mean, you, you make it sound so it's funny. You make it sound so great uh, to sort of work with you. It's almost like uh, you can provide, like, I don't want to say this because you don't want people that work for you to leave, but like you provide them such an opportunity to get a great understanding of how to grow a brand um, and how to understand how to grow a brand that they get these you know incredible skills under you and then they could use those uh, to move on and actually build and create something, which is really great, right? I just never thought of it that way until you explained it. So that's that's incredible. Uh, I really like that. Um, I think you sort of answered the next question, right? So so really getting an understanding of a brand helps you decide 
you're not a spe you don't have a specialty necessarily in in one specific channel. It's the idea of getting an understanding of of a brand and um, understanding sort of them holistically, and then figuring out what brands work best. That's that sounds right, correct? Yeah, with the caveat that like there are definitely certain channels where we have more of a specialization in terms of like our team structure. So, um, you know, as we've talked about paid digital and what I call performance PR, um, which is really just a hybrid of affiliate marketing and sponsored content, um, like sponsoring content that, you know, you and I work together with, yeah. um, I think is a really, really important differentiator. Um, I think the reason that I share the lens of with whom we work with and how we look at the big picture is like, I'm sure, you know, you've experienced this as well, but like when you're doing sponsored content or affiliate marketing, like the attribution can get very, very difficult. And so yeah. when we are tasked against just trying to optimize um, for an in-platform lowest CPA, like we can do that. But I think that, you know, the brand marketer or the the representation of the business, um, you know, cause we're just an agent, right? Like we are just trying to work on behalf of a different brand or that, you know, that we are representing. Um, and so making sure that, you know, we are aligned on how we're thinking about growth holistically, um, because I think some channels are just going to be more difficult to, to track than others. And so right. having that holistic approach and then, you know, providing, strategic counsel, you know, oftentimes, you know, we can potentially just provide a analogous inspiration of an email that we like if we're not managing an email campaign. But being that thought partner is what I really love doing. And so like, I realized that it's, it's a bit atypical when you think about like the way most agencies have operated to date. But I believe that it is what is needed, you know, in 2023. And um, it's undeniable that there are headwinds that exist. And I think that there are some channels that are going to potentially benefit from it, specifically sponsor content and affiliate. Um, we are seeing more and more brands um, that are raising their hand and saying, we don't even have an affiliate program. Well, you know, what is that? And, and then of the brands that do have an affiliate program, so many of them are really just focused on or over-indexed in coupon and loyalty. So the Rakutens, the Honeys, all of that. And so what we pride ourselves on, and which is why I kind of use the term performance PR, is our focus is around trying to find high-impact editorial or you know media properties that really educate a prospective customer on what a product or service might look like. And I, I learned that from our experience at Lisa. Like yeah. we, yeah. you know, we had a, you know, we had a partnership with, a, you know, a blog that was so lucrative that, you know, Casper ended up suing the blog and acquiring it, um, you know, through, you know, who knows how or whatever. But um, the, value that I think this sort of longer form content can provide a brand is so, so important today. And, you know, oftentimes people will ask and say like, well, is everything I'm reading on the internet a lie? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so what I would say though, is that like, I think that actually as more brands and as more publishers adopt, um, an affiliate model to also support their ad side of the business, 
the efficacy of or, or or accuracy of the content that is being produced is actually elevated because there are so many people vying for that whether it's you know top ranking in the google serp or you know the roundups and 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 being featured being able to work with publishers to educate them on the different value propositions of a business like is actually not all that dis- disingenuous at all. And I think that, you know, you look at the wire cutters of the world, um, you know, they, they really test well. And so, you know, leveraging and thinking through how to activate those types of partnerships, um, I believe is going to be a big part of what uh, kind of forward looking acquisition marketing strategy looks like, you know, as we do face some headwinds when it comes to, you know, traditional PPC be it, you know, predominantly meta Facebook and Instagram, um, right. but also TikTok, uh, you know, is, is, is a bit tricky too. I was thinking here for a second, you, you know, for us, I, I, I think about this a lot um, from an affiliate standpoint, this is kind of twofold, you know, wire cutter. Sure. You know, that's to me, someone that's uh, you know, sort of a darling and that, you know, they have the scale uh, and they have the expertise that makes them such a sort of uh, a simple or sort of really effective choice when it comes to affiliate marketing. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense. The challenge that like sites like ours have and others is that when we're not at a a sufficient enough scale, you know, we sort of have to balance out what kind of content resonates with the current readership that we have and also creating content that could work for us from kind of an affiliate standpoint. And it's a mix, right? And it's figuring out how to create the right content that provides value for the loyal readers that we have, but then creating that content that uh, can help us drive and increase traffic overall on the site. I mean, it's, you know, it's just always a challenge that we've had for, man, since I, since I've been here. So it's interesting to hear you talk about that. And it's something that we think about all the time. Um, And I don't really know what the answer is. I mean, it's just such an important balance and, you know, you know, your readers best, you know, that they are, your your revenue generators and you want to make sure that you continue to provide the value that you do in terms of like editorial integrity and quality content i think you guys do you know a really nice job of that um the one thing i would just encourage you know as a publisher is you know there are a lot of different ways to get creative with partnerships and that's something that we really pride ourselves on um even thinking through some sort of like hybrid program where we might mitigate the risk of a publisher by saying we'll guarantee x dollars from a flat fee standpoint but then should it you know, provi- you know, uh, perform the way that we think it's going to, we're then going to flip this to a, you know, whether it's a PPC model or just a CPA model to say, we knew that we were confident that this is going to resonate with your readers, but we want to, you know, hedge your risk to say, we understand that this is a new brand. And, you know, that's why forging these long-term relationships is so important because, you know, as we both start to learn what a specific reader might you know, what might resonate with a specific reader, being able to have those more kind of innovative and like, not just off the, off the book, off the menu kind of partnerships is, is what I think we have gotten really good at forging. And I think doing so that way um, allows for you to kind of, di- you know, dip your toe into what affiliate could look like without potentially um, impacting the reputation with your audience. 
Yeah, we should probably take this offline. It's like such a it's such a hot topic for us right now, trying to figure that out because we get we, we get approached all the time, and then we always try to figure out like how do you how do you sort of weave through this and and figure out a way to make it work. Uh, you know, because the initial reaction, which maybe has changed, is you know a lot of the times publishers will be hesitant because they're afraid that when content is more affiliate in nature, that Google hurts them in when it comes to ranking. But that's like a whole other sort of can of worms anyway, because it's, it's it's really difficult now to to rank and it's going to become probably increasingly difficult. I was just reading something this morning about, you know, chat GPD and, you know, the impact that that's going to have. And so it becomes even more paramount that you have this really strong direct relationship with the readers that you already have. But it's a, it's a really, it's just such an interesting problem to tackle. And we probably could spend the rest of the podcast talking about it, but um, maybe it's something that we, we, we sort of dive into at, at another time. But um, what well, you are uh, essentially tasked with um, figuring out for, for brands is, is exactly the kind of thing we publishers are thinking about all the time too. So it just makes your agency um, incredibly relevant, which kind of goes to my next question, which is like, has it changed much since you've started the agency? You know, I mean, everything changes so quickly in our industry as an all, just overall, has, have you felt that um, as an agency, have you had to change your model at all, or have you really stuck to what you have done well and, and continue to do that today? I think it's probably a bit of both, um, both on the offering side of things, as well as the tactical side of things. So like, you know, on the tactical side of things, like we had an office in New York City that we gave up during COVID. And now we are an organization that works really well remotely. And I do not anticipate us to go back. Um, in terms of what our offering looks like as we've grown and brought on more team members, our offering has definitely widened a bit, but not necessarily skewed um, all too far from, you know, what that kind of growth promise looks like in terms of like what we're going to do to try and help. Like we now do email, which has been a big part of our business. Um, we've done a little bit of direct mail strategic counsel um, because I think that brands are also diversifying out of the Facebook and Google, uh, specifically Facebook or Meta. Um, I think they are changing their name back, but uh, the like that that uh-huh. side of the uh, the the world. W- what I would say on that kind of PPC side of things, though, is that I, I think we were well positioned in uh, leaning towards creative um, because, like, when I was at Lisa. We, my, you know, as the CEO of our company, his name's David, he, he would used to call my team of like 10, 12 people, I think, you know, we were a trading team. He wouldn't even call us a marketing team because like in 2018, mm-hmm. in my opinion, the real trick to like managing like a Facebook campaign, like at scale um, and like really outperforming uh, the market. And I used to say like back when I was at Lisa that like, you know, how do you uh, outperform the Facebook algorithms to care whether you're an agency and like it's like a hedge fund model of like, you know, how do you how do you charge two and 20 um, to outperform what would just be like a, you know, broad based OCPM campaign where you just let it fly. Right. And so in in 2018, 2019, you know, we found it to be really about what we call trading. So moving money from one ad campaign to another, um, flighting media by day. Um, building specific ad sets by geos. Some of that can still work, but like now more than ever, 
content and creative are so paramount to the success of what a paid digital campaign looks like. And so while while we do have like, you know, we do help and, and create, you know, a lot of the, you know, kind of probably Facebook and Instagram content that you see, the UGC content and stuff like that. What we've done is we've actually leaned into a uh, blog based strategy, taking some of our kind of performance PR knowledge. And so this is actually kind of born out of COVID. We were like kind of bored and I uh, me and a colleague decided to try and start like a work from home, like product review site. Uh, yep. It was called the productive Penguin. called the productive penguin, terrible name, but um, it's since evolved though, into what is now called finders and keep. And it is a, uh, an opportunity that is both ranking from a whitelisting standpoint, but also, uh, I'm sorry, ranking from an SEO standpoint, but also allows brands to whitelist. So what brands are seeing is that by publishing content on Facebook and advertising that way, which looks like, you know, native news content, we're able to drive up the click-through rate so much, thus drive down the CPC so much that while we are driving to third-party validation, and obviously it makes it a little bit more difficult from a customer journey standpoint, is one more click. Um, the quality of traffic that is coming in actually makes for uh, you know about a twenty to thirty percent lower customer acquisition cost um, when you back all of it out. Even though we are taking prospective customers um, off of the you know drive instead of driving them directly to the site and instead driving them to um, a review of a specific product, which is working really well. Wow. That's amazing. Um, okay. So um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Uh, you kind of answered this anyway, because it sounds like you're just so uh, kind of in this um, sort of direct to consumer world that maybe um, it's not something that you, maybe a lot of this just happens because of your reputation, but what, what's the challenge like today as an agency to, to find customers? What is your process like? Is it, you know, it sounds like simply you offering um, advice at, at one point and maybe that sort of evolved into getting work. Maybe that's how you started in the beginning, but obviously you've grown a lot. So what is it like now? And uh, is it a big part of your day? And uh, how, do you, how do you go about that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, Sean, I've been very fortunate. We have been very fortunate in that, um, you know, coming back to New York at the end of 2018 and kind of just having been working in the space for so long, um, I was able to, you know, very quickly, um, you know, just set up meetings with, with people that I knew. And so, I'm actually proud to say that um, all of the business that we have won to date has been inbound, believe it or not. Oh, um, that's awesome. And so, yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty wild, and we've been really fortunate. And I think part of that, honestly, is that we've had either people who we work with leave to go to another company, or they happen, you know, people ask each other, right? And so, like, word of mouth has been so, so valuable. And like, I think that one thing that I am really proud of just living in New York City is that like, I feel like the direct consumer New York City crew is is actually really collaborative and is kind of trying to help everyone out. And so I love that it's been really nice. Yeah, it's awesome. And so uh, having that type of like a little bit of less competitive, but instead complementary type of partnerships have been really beneficial to what we do. Um, I do think that, it, you know, there aren't that many folks that are really kind of focusing on that performance PR side of things. That has definitely been a differentiator for us. And 
we've had a lot of brands come in just with that. And then given the way that we approach their business and how we think about things, we've been able to expand our partnership. Um, you know, I think that we will probably now start in 2023 to explore an outbound marketing strategy, which I'm excited to learn. It's definitely new to me. Um, I think with some of the products that we have specifically finders and keep that's really interesting in terms of sort of low risk for brands, um, but also gives them that third party validation that almost is a nice foray into what potential partnership marketing uh, or perform performance PR could look like for the brand at scale. Um, so that's almost been like a really interesting lead magnet to then expand into a broader partnership. Um, and we have expanded outside of just the direct to consumer world. We still focus on like growth. And I would say that we are a direct response agency and that like we are evaluated on like CAC and ROAS goals, but we're working with fintech companies. We're working with B2B companies and stuff like that. And so what I think has been validating for us has been if you apply the tactics and the process for which we evaluate what tactics make sense. It is not just necessarily relevant to direct to consumer businesses, but instead it's really just around understanding that customer journey and like the customer personas and then right. finding the right channels with the right creative. And, and, and that can work for, you know, a wide swath of businesses. Um, and that's been sort of our focus. That's great. Right. Love that you've gotten this far on inbound though. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's like a nice ramp, right? Just to sort of get you started, which is uh, just really, really great. Thanks for listening to Strange Currencies. This podcast is for entertainment only. Any advice should be taken with caution. Except chocolate. Uncle Sean is right about that. You should eat some every day. Hosted by Sean Ryan and sponsored by Rotary Digital. Music, mix and mastering done by MKG Marketing. Next episode to drop next week. Be sure to subscribe, like and share wherever you podcast.